Good morning, Church. It's good to be with you this morning. I wish I could see you face to face, but um, this is what we have to put up with for the time being. Um, the Bible reading this morning is taken from Psalm 22. It's a beautiful passage and poignant uh, with its reflections for us, and Cole will be preaching on this later on. So Psalm 22, reading from the New International Version. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer, by night but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. 
all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, unborn, he has done it. We thank God for his word to us this morning. Thank you, Terry, for reading that to us. Psalm 22 is the psalm of crisis. It opens with a mighty shout of despair that rocks the whole psalm and sets the tone for what is one of the most poignant pieces of ancient poetry ever written. It was written over 3,000 years ago. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Have you ever reached that part in your life when you feel you're at the end of the road? That crisis point, well, there's nothing left to do except shout. Perhaps even shout at the heaven. My God, where are you? When everything is falling apart around you, nothing seems to be going right. And you're both suffering and terrified because you sense that you're going through this crisis alone. If so, then this psalm is for you because Psalm 22 is very much the psalm of the crisis, the crisis. It begins with a giant desperate shout to the heavens, a cry of despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The writer of this psalm was King David of Jerusalem, a shepherd boy who became a warrior and eventually became the king of the people of Israel. In fact, the greatest king they ever had. Marvis psalm is definitely attributed to him. There are no events in his life that could give us a possible context for this psalm. And so this has proved to be a mystery. What is David referring to that's gone on in his life? Because this is more than simply a man who's on a bed of sickness, a man who's struggling with some illness. This is someone who's crying from a place of execution, a place of terror, a place of death. David is in a great crisis and his point of most need and he feels totally bereft, totally alone. Just where is God? Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's so easy when we face times of crisis to imagine that God has forgotten us, that he has abandoned us. Some people even blame God for the crisis as they go through week by week, year by year. And they blame God for whatever goes wrong in the world. Only read a few weeks ago, someone on the internet saying about the corona crisis, well, if you want proof there's no God, just look at the corona crisis. They suggest that this pandemic is God's fault. And that the wet markets in China 
but choose to keep dead and living animals in close proximity and treat the living animals in barbaric ways. But that's God's fault. People also would choose to believe all the evil, all the wars are God's fault. The Second World War, well, that's God's fault as well. We can't blame Hitler. We can't blame the rise in the sense of nationalism between the interwar years in Germany. We can't blame international politics. We can't even blame the Versailles Treaty. It's all about God. It's God's fault. All our suffering is God's fault. It's easy to blame God for everything. And even the things that we do ourselves, when we exercise self-will, we just blame God when things go wrong for some bizarre reason. But this psalm is not about that. David isn't blaming God for what's going on. He's not blaming God for his pain. He's simply asking why God isn't around during his time of pain. The suffering is not these, the writer of this psalm, David, is not of the opinion that being a believer, being a follower of God is going to be something that inoculates you against any kind of suffering or pain. Just read the life of David. David had many problems, many very serious problems in his life. And being a Christian is no guarantee that we won't suffer. Being a Christian is no guarantee we won't experience difficulty or pain. What is the promise of being a Christian is we'll never experience that pain alone. We will never be left alone, never be left without the presence of God, but God will be with us, whatever. That's the promise of the Bible for us in all times of crises. But here in this particular crisis, it seems that God is on a runner, that God is not around for David. He's nowhere to be found. My God, my God, he says, why have you forsaken me? And this is not a cry as to why he's suffering. It's a cry asking the question, why am I suffering alone by myself? It's a cry for help. When we see this in verses 11 and 19, David shouts, do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help, in verse 11. And then in verse 19 he says this, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. David calls to God to be with him as his helper during his time of trouble. He's not necessarily calling for his suffering to end, but he's appealing to God but he can't cope with this crisis without God. He says, but God is his strength. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far, far from me. You are my strength. And sometimes in a crisis, the only help we want is to know that we're not going through this crisis alone. The Reverend Herbert Cecil Pugh was a chaplain Congregationalist minister and became a chaplain during the Second World War and joined the Royal Air Force. And after serving for some time in this country, he was posted abroad to Africa to take part in the North Africa campaign. And so one day he embarked upon HMT Ansem, a ship carrying 1,300 passengers that was sailing for West Africa at the end of June 1941. And during the early hours of the morning of the 5th of July, a German U-boat torpedoed HMT Ansel about 300 miles north of the Azores. An explosion caused extensive damage below decks. There were collapsed overheads and wrecked ladders 
and many men were injured by the blast and by the falling debris. And the torpedo particularly wrecked that sea and destroyed all the normal means of escape. But Cecil Pugh came back on deck. He came back on deck, actually wearing a dressing gown because the explosion occurred about five o'clock in the morning. And he gave help wherever he could. He seemed to be everywhere at once doing his best to um, comfort the injured, to help people escape on, in boats and the life rafts and seeing that they were launched. And then he heard about Deck Sea and the fact that there were many soldiers and airmen trapped in Deck Sea that couldn't escape. And so he insisted on being lowered down into Deck Sea by a rope. And everyone demurred because now that hole was beneath the waterline and it would be suicide to go down into Deck Sea. But he simply said, where my men are, I have to be. So they lowered him into that hold. The deck was already caving in and the hold was about three parts full of water. So that when he knelt, the water was coming up to just beneath his shoulders. Within 20 minutes of being torpedoed, HMT Anselm sank beneath the waves. And Cecil Pugh was never seen again. In 1947, for his bravery, he was awarded the George Cross, which King George himself presented to his widow Amy Pugh at Christ Church, Friend Barnet, where Cecil had been a pastor for 12 years. Cecil Pugh was lowered into the hold of a sinking ship just so he could bring comfort to those people as the ship went down, so they were not alone. And this psalm is also about that, because it's supremely not just a picture of the crisis, it's a picture of the cross. The cross. King David was not just a king, he was also a prophet. And Peter writes about this in his famous sermon in Acts on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. He describes David as a prophet. And what David was writing about in Psalm 22 was not his own experience. It was the experience of one who was to follow him, the greatest king, the Messiah. It was all about the cross. See, you see, Jesus knew the Old Testament well. And on the cross, he made seven cries. And two of these are quotations from the Psalms. One is taken from Psalm 31 and the others are taken from Psalm 22. In Psalm 31, verse 5, he writes, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is found for us in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, where Luke describes Jesus on the cross and he says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And then there's that terrible cry recorded for us, both by Mark and by Matthew in the Gospels. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sakbakfani, Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of David in Psalm 22 is in fact the cry of Jesus upon the cross. It's called in fact the cry of dereliction because God abandons his son. God left Jesus alone on the cross during those final terrible moments of torture. Not because he wanted to, but because he had to. Jesus was totally alone. 
And this is exactly what Jesus knew would happen. This is why he weeps in the garden of Gethsemane the night before. Father, take this cup from me. He wasn't praying about his own life. He wasn't praying to be spared the cross. He was praying to be spared the horror of the separation that would arrive when he was nailed to that cross. Because upon him were put the sins of mankind. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus became a curse for us. Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a pole. He was separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. He was not on that cross for the wrong he has done, but for our wrongs. The Apostle Paul tells us, the Apostle Peter, sorry, tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. You see, quite literally, Jesus experienced hell upon the cross. And Psalm 22 is all about experiencing hell, being separated from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced hell so that you and I wouldn't have to. You see, he understands pain better than you and I could ever. None of us would ever have to endure the agony that he did if we trust and follow him. And we see in this psalm, the, the, the cross and the scene of the crucifixion vividly described over a thousand years before the cross and the crucifixion happened. We see the humiliation of Jesus in verses 6 to 7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. There's the mocking. Verse 7. All who see me mock me, they hail insults, shaking their heads. Verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. This is, these are exactly the same words that were used over a thousand years later by those gathering around the cross and recording for us in Matthew 27. We see that Jesus is publicly stripped and humiliated. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. And then we see the terrible method of the crucifixion in verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joy. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Crucifixion is a terrible death. It was devised to be a slow death, not a quick death. So the people will be seen to be dying slowly. And as they hung upon that cross... It will be a warning to anyone who dare to disobey the dictates, dictates of Rome. It was something that would cause eventually, as they were, they were nailed or tied to the cross, as they were said that there was very small ledge underneath their feet, their legs were bent, so they could hardly support their own weight. What used to happen was that the, they would flop forward and eventually their arms would dislocate because they couldn't hold themselves up anymore. As their arms were dislocated, you put incredible pressure upon the lungs and start to cause the lungs to collapse. So the person will be struggling to breathe or cause pressure upon the heart. And eventually the person would either suffocate or asphyxiate, asphyxiate or they would simply, their heart would give up. It was a terrible means of death. And note that David would never have seen a crucifixion. Crucifixion didn't exist at the time of David. It wasn't invented to the Romans hundreds of years later as one of the means of, of demonstrating their power over the Roman colonies and the Roman Empire. 
And then we see the piercing, verse 16. They pierce my hands and my feet. And they see, we see the people encircling Jesus. Dogs surround me, verse 16. A pack of villains encircle me. And then we even see something that again happens in the crucifixion. The casting of locks for the clothes of Jesus. Jesus was wearing a seamless garment. That was far too precious for the squad of four men to tear into four pieces. And so they decided to gamble for his clothing. And it writes in verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast clots for, uh, lots for my garments. And we read about this again in Matthew 27, verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. This psalm is not merely about the crisis or that cry from the cross. It's very much a description of what Jesus went through for you and for me. Jesus was upon that cross. The carpenter was being nailed to wood. The Son of God was being made to pay for your sin and mine. And so this picture is also very much about the Christ. The Christ. The cry of Psalm 22 is the cry of Jesus. It is the cry of love for you and me because he went to the cross instead of you and me. Everything that you and I had ever done were put upon the shoulders of Jesus and began to blot out the light of God. It was as if our sins had become a mighty cloud and Jesus could no longer in, enjoy this, the rays of the sun. The huge darkness of our wrongs and, and our evil obliterated the light from Jesus and he hung there in darkness. And he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the cry of Jesus because he loves you and he loves me. But you and I got in the way of his relationship with our sins and so we broke his heart. It wasn't the crucifixion that killed Jesus. It wasn't even the spear, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the insults, the stripping and all the pain he suffered. What killed Jesus was a broken heart. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus promises us that we'll never experience that if we follow him. If we come to know him and trust him, we will never experience that. His last words to us on planet Earth before he went to heaven was this in, in Matthew 28 and verse 20. Surely I am with you always to the end of, the, uh, end of this age. He's with us now in this pandemic and we can call upon him and we can know that he is with us during this crisis. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's his promise. He will never abandon us. And we can enjoy that relationship with him because he has given us his righteousness. Verse 31, it says they will proclaim his righteousness. You see, there was a great exchange that happened. We gave Jesus all the negative poison the toxic evil, all the wrongdoing, all the badness in us, in our actions, in our hearts, in our intentions. We got this poison and we gave it to Jesus. And in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, his perfection, his light, his beauty. So when we stand before God, God doesn't see the poison. He doesn't see the rubbish. He doesn't see the mess that you and I have done. He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so we can know that relationship with Jesus 
has had with the Father from eternity. He's given that. But that's why he cries out in pain, because when he took that poison upon him, it blotted out the light of God. This psalm is a wonderful psalm. And it ends with four very important words. Read them. Psalm 22 and verse 31. Four very important words. The words are this. He has done it. He has done it. Salvation is not done by you. It's not done by me. You and I can't make ourselves right. Can't be righteous before God. You and I are screw-ups. He has done it. And it's only by trusting in him and the work that he has done. We experience that relationship of knowing God. He has done it. And again, that's similar to words on the cross. Matthew records for us in Matthew 19 and verse 30. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. People, are you worried about being a screw up? Are you worried about not being able to come before God because you are too imperfect? Well, absolutely you're imperfect. I'm imperfect. The only perfect person ever was put upon a cross and he has done it for you and for me. We don't come before God and say, look at me, I'm a good person because none of us are good people. But he has done it. He has stood in the way. He has borne the sins, your, your sins and my sins. He has borne that and borne that cross in order that you and I will never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But some people will say that. Not because they've abandoned, been abandoned by God, but simply because they walk away from God. They abandon God. Jesus promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But so many people forsake him. They can't be bothered. They're too bothered with the glitter of the world by spending all the money, building kingdoms on earth, trying to find pleasure and enjoyment and just enjoy themselves and forget about everything else. And they walk away from God. They don't know the pleasure of knowing God. The joy of knowing the Lord Jesus, of having his righteousness. People, God will never reject us. Let's not reject him. God loves us enough to let us go if we choose to walk away from him. He always respects our self-will. He wants love that's from the heart and not love that is coerced. Come to him. Give yourselves to him. Know the God who has promised I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Come and know Jesus, because he was put upon a cross for you and for me. He died that you and I would never have to. May God bless you this day. And may you come to know his love and his presence. Let's pray. Lord, just open our eyes. Lord Jesus, unstop our ears. Lord, if we don't know you this morning, soften our hearts. May we receive this word from you. May we read Psalm 22 and realise it's a psalm for us. A psalm that speaks upon you upon a cross and what you did for us. Lord, I pray that you may speak into people's hearts and open their minds and help them to follow you, to turn and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Help me to be one of your disciples and to go your way. Lord, help 
each and every one of us to follow you and to know your peace, to know your promise, to know your presence in our lives day by day. We ask Lord Jesus in your name. Amen.